Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You know what I I got? Can I tell you something? I got something that's totally unrelated to movies uh, that has made my life better. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you want, I mean, do you want to hear about it? Uh, yes. How got, could I not? I got a new refrigerator. <laughs> oh, that's the last thing I was expecting, but great. Son, let me tell you what is up. Ice and water and crushed ice in the door. I've never had that in my life. Wow. Uh-huh. Things just got better around here. If anybody wants ice uh, in their water when they're at my house... I can now handle that. But here's the problem, Pete. What? Not not that I want to poop on your lemonade. Oh, but... too late. It's already you've already <laughs> put it out there. But you're not going to get your your bubbly water out of the fridge. You're going to still have to make it. I do. And but I I put the bottle of the the prep bottle in the door thing and it filled and then I do the the soda streaming. And I did that tonight for to prepare for this very show. I'm I'm drinking the bubbly water. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so I, you know my process is changed, but it it still works, and it takes advantage of the new fridge. And you know what? Here's a problem. Let me just say this about that: uh, refrigerators and refrigerator manufacturers. Anybody who's listening to this show, who is involved in particularly the design of refrigerators, I have an open question: Why on earth does every refrigerator have to be giant now? Why does it have to not fit in the holes that uh, thousands upon thousands of ex- homes in the suburbs uh, have in their existing kitchens? Is there an assumption around the design table that every home gets a new refrigerator has to be renovated? Is that the assumption? I ask you. Wow, I'm a little bit fired up. I had to like I, rip what? baseboard off of my around the whole. I mean, I it fits like so like they j- literally had to jam it. Into the space. <laughs> I'm pretty fired up about this. And yeah, and it sticks out like some four or five inches. It pretty much dominates my kitchen. Yeah, like you watch, you walk in and you feel like you sort of need to maybe take a knee. <laughs> <laughs> do you have like a holy light above it kind of shining down? You do, upon I it? do. I do. I okay, actually, excellent. actually, if you position like, because uh, the light inside, you know, it's got this fancy light. When you open it up, it like fades in. And so I have taken to positioning uh, key food items or bottles, uh, beverage items, under this light in such a way that when you open it, the light fades in above it. And it is, a, it is in fact, a dramatic uh, isolation in my that refrigerator. It's really fantastic. You want a root beer? It's a holy root beer. <laughs> yeah. The holy root beer. <laughs> That's my story of the week. What did you do? Did you do anything good? <laughs> All right, well, I could take a break for a chance. Yeah, I always yeah. break for a chance. 
That was all I had. I didn't have more. My Gregorianness is uh, fading. <laughs> what did you do this week? Did you do anything it. good this week? Anything at all? Oh, what did I do this week? I don't think I did anything good this week. You know, actually, you know what I started this week? It's mm. kind of fun. Mm. I started uh, with my children because, you know, I'm doing this Tom Cruise thing, which I'm really pushing to finish before Oblivion opens up. Um, or not Oblivion. That was his last one. Yeah, uh, this is the, the new one where he goes back and forth in time. and Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 The, uh, you know, I'm doing that little uh, Tom Cruise marathon trying to plow through all of his movies. And I'm, I'm moving along pretty well. I'm finally up to The Last Samurai. So oh, slowly no. but surely. Sorry, I'm sorry about yeah. that. Hey, well, I had to muddle my way through Mission Impossible 2 again. And Vanilla Ooh. Scott is like a painful pairing for me. But, you know, I... I I, I'm getting to a point where, you know, I feel like there's going to be some better movies coming, hopefully. But Edge of Tomorrow, that's the one that I'm uh, I'm trying to get everything done before Edge of Tomorrow hits. But I actually started a marathon with my children because, you know, I can't do Tom Cruise with my children. There's way too many movies that are just not appropriate for a three- and a seven-year-old. So we actually started a marathon of all the Walt Disney Studios animated films. So we started with <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and then we did Pinocchio. And when they're 17, you'll finish. <laughs> uh, hopefully it won't take quite that long. I this mean, there gets are Andy, you know... No, there's, we're just doing the animated films. So there's only 53, and we did two in a weekend. So, Doesn't this know. take you back into your uh, your fetishist uh, <laughs> love of, like, Tinkerbell movies? No. No. <laughs> those, are, those are not official uh, Disney Animation Studio films. There are only 53 so far. The 54th wow. one is going to be the uh, uh, Big Hero, whatever it's called, Big Hero 6 coming out this uh, this fall. So our goal will be to get through all of them before that one opens. <laughs> That's awesome. Ambitious. Sure. They're kids. They can sit around all day watching movies. <laughs> That's great. Good for yeah. you. <laughs> so it was, it was a fun weekend. And I'm posting it all in Letterboxd. I'm, Letterboxd, I'm doing my lists. Excellent. So we'll Excellent. follow along and see what uh, what we think of them. I'm I'm doing my little reviews of of the kids. What did you like? What didn't you like? What scared you? Trying to get a sense of what's uh, what they think of the movies. It's fun. That's great. That's great. Yes. You're a good dad. <laughs> I, uh, I it related to that. Hey, uh, Game of Thrones is back on. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. No, I didn't watch that with my kids. That's a little but bloody. Let me tell you, episode two, Game of Thrones. There's a thing that happens in there, in a way that I've never seen it happen before to a human, and it made me stand up. Like I'm watching it, and then the show ends, and I realize I was sitting when I started, and now I'm standing up, holding onto my head. <laughs> That's what that was. What it was like. I was sitting, and then I was standing, and I didn't recall the transition. From sitting wow. to standing to holding, it was it it was tough to watch. It's a it's a great season so far, and I love the tagline of the ads that are going around the net right now. The taglines are for you to go buy the first three seasons, and the tag huh. is "Hurry before the internet spoils it." Right, I saw that today. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, all right, let's tell the people where <laughs> we're from, Andrew. Yes, uh, let's. <laughs> you think about that for a minute. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, uh, okay. 
Hey, everybody, this is The Next Reel. I'm Pete Wright. That there is Andy Nelson. Hello. And we spoil movies every single week. You want to see the other movies we've spoiled heavily? Head over to thenextreel.com. Uh, you can see all the shows we've done. You can see our special edition monthly new release series, The Film Board. Uh, we got another one of those coming up in just a few days. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can read the fantastic blog stylings of the great, the, the great, uh, the once and future king, Steve Sarmento. Now oh, he's yeah. been he's been doing some good stuff. I like it. Do you want to know what I what my favorite thing that he's doing right now is? Please tell me. You gotta head over to the blog because he's doing he started this series, which you and I, frankly, should feel great shame that I we do. have we have not <laughs> been better about this. So Steve is batting cleanup for us. He's got a new series called Trailer Rewind where he is going back and reviewing uh, a, a selection of the films that Andy and I have chosen as our trailer picks from past shows. And uh, j- he started, uh, what was the first one he did, was um, uh, The Bay. And mm-hmm. that was from episode 54. We talked about Bullet. And uh, The Bay uh, it came up. And then he ended up, uh, just this week, just went live with John Dies at the end, uh, which he says is, uh, it's well, you got to read it. But let me just say, it's made it to uh, the uh, Steve Sarmento's guilty pleasure list. And that, my friends, speaks volumes. He's seen it twice already. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and and uh, sadly, I haven't seen it once. So I'll tell you, it's on my I watch know. list high. Uh, and so this is, uh, you, I've seen a, a good handful of the films that we've talked about the in our trailer yeah. picks. But not enough, and that makes I, me yeah. sad. I hear you. Uh, so there, are, th- there are some on my list that I keep I, I keep feeling guilty about, like uh, you know, small apartments. I still feel oh, like yeah. I need to watch that one soon because it just looks like such a quirky one. And uh, Rubber, I think one of us talked about, and yeah, there's a lot of ones out there that I feel like we need to jump in and oh. watch. So I'm glad that he's doing this. Totally, totally, totally. And you know, he did a great feature on uh, uh, the writer that Gen X forgot uh, when uh, Lorenzo Semple Jr died uh, just a few weeks oh, yeah. back and it's a great series that he he uh, picked up on so it, definitely the blog is fantastic you gotta head over to the blog and, and read what steve is putting out there uh and now andy <laughs> i don't even know how to introduce this anymore but i'm gonna i i it used to be andy versus the people but it has grown i, I think uh yeah, well kinda, outside kinda... of of your control yeah, it's it's kind of Andy and Steven oh. <laughs> against the people, but it's really this Steven is so good. versus the people. <laughs> and this was a really tough week for people. This was a, a fantastic looking movie that I had never even heard of. Uh, Steven picked some just amazing images from this film called Spies by Fritz Lang, a silent German expressionist film from 1928. And the images are really just stunning all the way through, especially the day uh, five's image of the um, the the bad guy as he's like got getting out of his crashed car and he's got guns in both hands and he's just kind of blazing away. <laughs> oh, that's so it's, good! And to see an image like that from a movie from 1928, I mean, it really kind of uh, you know speaks volumes as to uh, how good filmmakers were back then. And how much filmmakers uh, these days are stealing from filmmakers back then without probably even realizing it. I mean, it's it's just a great image. And, I, you know, it's definitely a film that I have now added to my right to the top of my Netflix queue because I feel like I definitely need to see this one soon. But, yeah, it 
fooled everybody. Nobody could figure out what it was. Even, uh, you know, trying to pull out, you know, Google image searches. I don't think anyone managed to figure it out. So, uh, so this uh, chalk this one up uh, for Stephen. He uh, he beat the people. He beat the people. We need a scoreboard. That, my friend, that's what we need. On Absolutely. this seg, we need a scoreboard, and so I'm going to figure out how to make that happen. This uh, this is such a great series, and uh, I, I think uh, old uh, Steam Robot he is bringing a lot of uh, of good mojo uh, to these uh, to these contests. So look Absolutely. forward to more great films. Yes, uh, yes, and if anybody from who's listening goes and watches Spies, we'd love to hear what you think. Absolutely, please let us know. Uh, what else do we have to talk to people about? Anything else? I think that's it. All right, let's. Do trailers. Andy, um, I think I'm going to go first. Okay. No, no, no. No, I've changed my mind. You should go first. (laughs) Okay. I'll go first. Mine, you know, again, as everybody knows, since we're in our found footage series right, right now, I've been doing found footage trailers. And like I said last week, it's a little tricky finding good ones. Although this one this week looks like it has a, kind of an interesting premise, and uh, I'm hoping it could be something that would be fun to watch. Um, we'll see. Uh, I think the jury is out. It's called The Ghost is a Lie. And this is a film by Skeleton Key Films that... Uh, let me just read the uh, the IMDb description here. It's uh, it, it sounds like something that could work. Hoping to cash in on the final stages of the found footage phenomenon, a shady L.A. producer hires a small crew of cult icon, has-been, and never-were filmmakers to whip up a supernatural first-person perspective ghost story on a pitifully low budget. Along with a handful of amateur actors, the group heads into the woods and sets about rigging up scares and planning the story with varying degrees of enthusiasm. After filming the first gag, the actors return to base camp to find the crew has been brutally murdered most of the crew anyway now the actors are lost far from home and being hunted stalked by a vicious killer with an eye for cinema it, it sounds like it's it's getting a little meta as far as I was, of, yeah it's it's, it's meta footage the, yeah it's it's <laughs> found it's a it's an actual found footage film that these people are making that turns into a found footage film and you know I, <laughs> there's something about that that makes uh me want to see it and uh i don't know if it's going to be any good or not i think i saw that the budget on this film speaking of you know uh whipping up a supernatural first person perspective ghost story on a pitifully low budget i think i saw somewhere that the budget on this film was like ten thousand dollars so i mean <laughs> Talk about a bunch of friends going out into the woods just making something for cheap. Oh, I love it. This yeah. one, this is one. You showed me the trailer this last week, and I am. This is one I'm actually. Uh, I, I'll probably catch this at some point, um, just out of curiosity, because there's there's some pretty good gags in the yeah. uh, in the trailer. It, it looks like an interesting one, so. Uh, yeah, it looks I'll like it, it should be fun. I don't know if it has any release dates yet. Nothing that I could find um, right now. It just says 2014, so it's a, a vague, uh, sometime this year sort of release. Excellent, excellent. I'll bet it'll be a direct to digital. Don't you think? I bet it will be. Yeah. I bet it will be. All right. Well, I want to. I want to wrap up our <laughs> our found footage series with another found <laughs> with another found footage film. 
but only if you're looking at footage as a measurement. <laughs> it's called The Final Member, and uh, it's a documentary. And I can't find anywhere to indicate that it's actually uh, not true. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and read this, as you did. I, I think it's most important here to read the description. Uh, I, I have to share this. 30 miles from the Arctic Circle in the northern Icelandic town of Husavik stands the Icelandic Phallological Museum, the world's only penis museum. Over 40 years, the founder and curator has collected every specimen from every mammal except for one elusive penis. <laughs> I couldn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great what? tagline right there. What? One elusive penis. <laughs> one elusive penis needed to complete his collection, the human specimen. The film follows the curator's incredible, sublimely comic, often shocking quest to complete his eccentric collection and the two intrepid men who have raised their hands to be the first human donor. And let's add, uh, after watching this trailer, these the, particularly one guy uh, wants to be the first human donor before he's dead. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's shocking. And, and, and he is... Uh... Very gung ho because he's an American and he wants yeah. an American penis to be the first one in there. And he's got stars and stripes tattooed on it. Yeah, he has tattooed his <laughs> penis with the stars and stripes. This is a man who is proud uh, to st- <laughs> stand at full attention, shall we say? Oh my uh, goodness! Yeah, this is uh, this looks like a an absolutely hysterical documentary, and I I I think. Uh, we owe it to uh, to our species to see what what people have done to themselves. Yes, absolutely. Down, down there. <laughs> what a great find! Well done, uh, documentary yes, yes. comedy drama. Uh, excellent. And I think it's uh, actually opening this weekend in limited release. Hmm. Fancy mm-hmm. that. I wonder if the director got final cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so bad. That's just oh, so bad. That's good. No, that's really that. That was meant to be. <laughs> Annie, <laughs> I think we should go troll hunting. You know, it's a funny thing about Norwegian. I think, first of all, that you chose this film mostly so that you could just have a, a full interview, a full conversation with me butchering another culture's language. I did it just for that reason. Every name, it's just absolutely, and you listen to this film, and I, it, it's hard to watch for me because I get so lost in the language. It doesn't sound like anything else, this Norwegian. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not even an accent. It's just like, here are some syllables, and they just say it, like with a standard, like kind of a Midwestern accent. It's just, they just say it. It's not like Swedish, you know what I mean? It's it, like Swedish, you can tell. Norwegian is, or, or, or you know. You know what I'm saying? And what, and what I love about it is like when you see it written, like when you're looking at the credits, oh. how they combine words together just to make, a, as opposed to keeping like, you know, I'm trying to think like 
you know, sound designer, uh, two separate words, kind of like <laughs> we would do it. They just squish it all together. And I can't, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if sound designer is really a good example because I don't know how it is written in Norwegian, but they squish them together. So you get these words that are like 20 characters long. Right. <laughs> just right. like, it looks like I just don't even know where to begin with that word. Totally. Totally. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, so you picked this movie. I had never seen it. Yeah. And, uh, talk about why you, why you picked this movie for this series. Yeah. You know, this is a movie that I saw a few years ago. One of my friends had recommended it and I had never heard of this before. Um, and, but he had, uh, recommended some, some found footage films to watch. And, uh, I, I thought this one looked interesting. I loved the idea of just looking at the poster. It piqued my curiosity, you know, even though the poster, much like quarantine gives quite a bit away as, as far as you get the, the Jeep on the icy road with the giant troll kind of uh, like walking. So frustrating. So, yeah. It's like, Oh, Oh, there it is right there. Um, but even with that, I don't know, it piqued my curiosity and it, you know, uh, more than some other found footage films, I, you know, I, I do like that sort of genre, kind of the, the creature feature, the monster genre, kind of like, uh, that was one of the reasons that Cloverfield was such an enjoyable film. And, uh, I wasn't. I, I went into this kind of going. Okay, I'll give it a chance. It looks pretty interesting. I don't know what to expect out of uh, Norway as far as found footage creature feature, but you know, I'll give it a try. And I had so much fun watching this. I loved the conceit of these college kids just trying to do almost like kind of a class documentary project about a bear poacher. And then as they follow this guy, they find out, no, he's not actually a bear poacher. This guy is actually a troll hunter, and he works for the government. And it's like this this program the government has. And I just love that whole idea of the, the way they present that in the story. And then I, I really loved the trolls, too. Like, once you start seeing the trolls, not that they're, like, scary, horrifying horror movie trolls, but the fact that they are trolls in the... Uh, like the fairy tale sense of uh, what you would see in Scandinavian folklore. And they, they look kind of like those silly trolls, the ones that have the great big noses and kind of the funny faces and everything. But I loved that they took that type of troll and they use them as real and they made them actually fairly scary i mean it's not a horror movie but there are some tense scenes with these trolls and i really enjoyed just the whole fantasy element of this story and i i really had a lot of fun watching it i really enjoyed the way that they used the found footage in this and i i think it really worked as a found footage film and i think it worked as kind of a, a fantastical fairy tale uh, uh creature feature you know, it's funny. I I I enjoyed it too. I there's a great there's a great editorial line. Uh, Morton Stahl Nielsen, uh, who's a critic for Verdenskang, uh, wrote this uh, loosely translated. <laughs> I know Norwegian's a little rough. Uh, that Troll Hunter is better than we feared, weaker than we could have imagined. Uh, now, I you know I think. I think that's probably fairly true. This is a film for me that I I love the conceit and I love some of the things they did with the, um, you know, with the college students with the and you and I were both there. I mean, we were in college with the you know college equipment running right. around shooting things, shooting sports or shooting news, whatever we were doing. Like we were these kids, 
And so I, I had kind of an affinity for for the group of kids. Um, and, and so that was fun. I love that they just sort of stumbled on it. I love that they, uh, you know, that they, they, they name drop uh, Michael Moore, uh, right? right? Would, would Michael Moore have stopped on the first try? I mean, there's some good little lines there, these kind of uh, documentarian pop culture uh, riff um, that I really liked. I think they they set it up well in that light because you know we what we found is uh, you know that if you can buy into the conceit early uh then then you generally can have a pretty good time with these films and I think they did a pretty good job uh with the conceit and and you could tell they were they were uh you know they were novice news people and I think they played that role well um, I, I love that they switch camera camera people halfway through the film or, or in the third act, right? They they right, had uh, yeah. there was a bit of a thing, uh, <laughs> which which was actually a, a, a pretty tense moment for me. And this is one of the things I thought was was particularly interesting, in spite of the fact that they they quarantined the poster uh, and and sort of gave away the big bad at the end. Uh, so that you already knew what the creatures looked like, you already knew, had an idea of the uh, of the sort of setup of the, uh, you know, as you say, of the fairy tale part of it. Uh, there were still some really intense moments in it. Yeah. I expected to laugh my way through this film, and I, I did not. I, I, I enjoyed myself. Uh, and when you say laugh, you mean laugh in uh, mock. Yeah, mock yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, uh, I, I definitely expected to mock, but, but particularly yeah. toward the second when they, when they hit the cave. Uh, it, you know, and and started going into uh, the infrared. Uh, yeah. I, I particularly, I, I thought there there were some particularly intense uh, sequences that were that were pretty darn good. However, I would say that the film was carried uh, by Hans the Troll Hunter. Oh yeah, who is a, apparently a Norwegian comedian. Uh, yeah. Though there was nothing terribly funny about him in this film. Not really, but uh, the, other than the fact that he is a comedian and he's playing this role, so <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it, it's not—it's not really a funny film. Yeah, no, it's not—it's it, not really funny. Although I expected it to be. There were some sequences where they pull out some of the equipment, you know, and they pull out the giant syringe <laughs> that I yeah, thought right, was right. really great. Um, or where he walks out in the giant suit of armor because he has to yes. go, you know, actually draw blood from this troll from to try a, to figure out what's what it's sick with. Right, twenty five foot troll who then picks him up and tries to chew on him, but but can't right. get through the armor, so throws him back down. I mean, that was that was a, that was a particularly humorous bit, especially because you know he lived and everything ended up fine. Uh, you know, I thought that worked pretty well. Um, so. You but know. yeah, I think. But I think you're right, though, in what you say, and that review, I think, is. I mean, it's. I think it's fair to say that better than we feared, weaker than we could hope. Um, I mean, it's not. I don't know. Weaker than we could hope is is completely hitting it on the mark. But I. I mean, it's it's a very fun film to watch. I don't think it's a very deep film. I don't think there's really a whole lot that you're going to be getting out of it, other than just maybe an enjoyable time, and then you can kind of put it to the side and move on. But I mean, I. But it is better than you would have expected a film like this to be, and I think that's what made it stand out for me is just the idea that wow, this is an actual like a serious story about these you know these funny drawings of trolls that i've seen all my life uh of kind of these kind of norwegian types of trolls with the big noses and the hairy bodies and they chew on rocks and they turn to stone when they get hit by sunlight uh just like all of that kind of folklore of trolls i like how they treated it real and i i thought that 
but that that element in this film makes it a film that works for me. Yes. I, you know, I think there is a, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about religion. Yeah. In the film. Uh, they, they kind of, they make it a thing. Um, you know, that, that, uh, if you, if you're a Christian, you're going to be eaten. Yeah, they can, well, they can smell Christian's blood. Like other, if you're, if you're an atheist, they can't smell your blood. So you're, you're more likely to be able to sneak around them without getting caught. But if you definitely have, if you're Christian, then your blood is something they can smell and they'll track you down and chew you up. Now is that a is that a uh, that's a, there there are two things uh, about that. The first one is the troll lore. Now mm-hmm. I know you are a, a longtime student of troll lore. That's what I majored in. Right. Okay, <laughs> got, a, got a BS degree in troll lore. <laughs> Absolutely. Is that? Do you know uh, if that's a thing? If that if it if is it is a thing. Trolls trolls can smell out uh, in, Christians. Abs- actually. In the fairy tale Soria Moria Castle, it's one, <laughs> here's one where of, you do it. This is where you're going to drop it. It's one of the actual tales where you have a story about trolls and how they can spell, smell Christian uh, a Christian man's blood. There you go. All right. So yes, so it is something that that is oft repeated in troll tales. Okay. All right. Uh, trolls are are particularly uh, notorious, uh, notoriously bad in in Scandinavian kind of uh, folklore, and and uh, that's that, that's one of the things that I feel like I'm a little bit disconnected when I watch this film. Like it, it I feel a little bit like a, you know, I've used this word a lot recently, like an interloper on this kind of cultural identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm just not close enough to it to really uh, to really get it. But I like the way they address it in this film. Like they they address it, you know, very uh, sort of candidly. And I think Hans is, uh, you know, he just has this sort of checklist where he he says, you know, do you are you Christian? Do you believe in God? No. Okay, you're okay. Now go go cover yourself in poop, and uh, <laughs> then we're gonna go we're gonna go look for trolls. Uh, but I I think that's an interesting. Uh, I I did kind of get hit with that. Uh, a little bit sideways, uh, that there is this, um, there is a quite literal interpretation of the fact that of of that uh, you know religion is dangerous in this yeah. film, right? Uh, and uh, for a found footage film where you you've removed the veil of um, you know of of story essentially, right? I mean, you've you've you're breaking that fourth wall. Essentially, right. even though you're in the story, but that's one of the the things. It feels so much more like real life. One of the the tropes of found footage uh, that 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 uh, that sort of gestalt of religious fear uh, is uh, I found fascinating. Especially fear of religion, as opposed to fear of of not being religious. Right. You know, because you know, that's that's another trope that you can have in in films is you know fear of you know falling out of faith or not being faithful enough, and that can be a whole different sort of element in in uh, particularly like horror movies when it's something like The Exorcist or something when you really need to have that faith in order to survive. This is a really interesting twist on that, and I and you know I I. Joke, 
I, I really don't know much about <laughs> trolls. Uh, I, I majored in Wikipedia troll lore. <laughs> <laughs> it's really <laughs> what a, where I get my degree. Uh, but um, yeah, other than that, I've only ever seen pictures, and I know like the basics, you know, Billy Goat's Gruff and things like that. But um, uh, and so I, I don't, think I don't I remember the religious undertones of Billy Goat's. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think there was anything there. But I mean, I'm just saying I don't. That's just kind of a basic troll story, and I kind of knew those sorts of stories. I don't think I knew anything about the religious stories of uh, of trolls going into this. But that's again something that I really enjoyed, and I don't think it. It uh, it took me out of it, or it made me feel like I was at a loss or anything. I felt like I was in a place where um, I'm with people who, just much like Apollo 13, as an example, where I'm with people who know what they're talking about. I'm going to trust that things that they say are, are logical within the context of their world and what they need and, and how they're explaining it to someone else. And because of that, I'm going to go along with them. And when they tell me that stuff about a Christian man's blood, uh, I'm going to buy into it. And, and you know, it, it's just, it is what it is. And that's the context of, you know, how it's going to be in this story. Now, as far as I, I don't know a whole lot about Norway and the whole idea of religion in Norway and, and if the trolls were used as something, uh, you know, kind of a, a fairy tale with with religion to kind of, uh, you know, I, I, it's kind of an odd one because it's kind of scaring you out of religion, if anything. Well, you know? and it's ostracizing too, right? Because at this point here we've set up a premise where uh, not only will you be sniffed out if you are religious, but if you're with someone who's religious, uh, then you're in danger as well. So now we're, we are separating those of religion uh, right. and, and putting them someplace else. And there is this great sequence where you see everybody stop as the new camera woman shows up who is a Muslim, and yeah. uh, nobody knows what to do. Right. Uh, there, there is that beat where they're sitting there thinking, I, I, honest to God, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I don't yeah, know if that's... trolls can smell Muslims. Yeah, there's a great moment from Hans where he's thinking about that, and he's just right. like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I found that fascinating. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think it's interesting. It's not... Um, there are there there is this wonder, and we we may have talked about this in another sort of discussion of kind of cultural representation of religion. There's a great uh, there there was a great Gallup poll done, um, you know, a, a study over 2006 2011 that is, uh, you know, discusses religiosity by country or atheism by country, and Norway is is um, you know 65 percent atheist. Uh, so, you know, more than the majority is atheist, but the, it's, you sort of get that feeling, uh, that they were, they were poking a little bit, uh, or more than a little bit, especially the initial round of, um, you know, when, when they're talking about, are you religious? Are you religious? No, I mean, I, I yeah. sang in the church choir, but only because my mom told me to, you know? Right, right. Um, so they, they, they shared some laughs over that. And I thought that was an interesting kind of statement to make in a film like this. That's, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but, but it, I think it's telling. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, is Kale, the, uh, the cameraman, is he, um, not admitting to being religious because he really is genuinely afraid of being eaten by a troll? Probably not, because at this point, when they're talking, when they're you know talking about whether they're Christian or not with Hans, they haven't seen any trolls, and they think Hans is just a little loopy. 
Um, it's probably because he's embarrassed in a crowd of atheists to actually admit that he's Christian. Right. Right. So, so there is, it is right. kind of that ostracizing sense that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to not be a part of this because I'm a Christian. Right. And, and I think they, they make a big enough point in these, you know, across these like three sequences in the film that they keep coming back to it. Uh, that I think it's, it's, you know, it, it, it becomes a part of the narrative. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the other piece is politics. How they how this film uh, addresses the the um, you know the nature of the cover up. Yeah, and that's something I think is is pretty interesting in the in the context of this film is is governments and their cover ups and who who is it who's deciding what they're going to do for the better of the people, so to speak. Right. And, you know, it's like I mean. That's the whole premise of this film is Hans works for the government in this uh, this troll agency. I can't remember the name of the uh, the specific agency that he works for. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, only in, in, you know, I, wrote, I, wrote, no, I, wrote I don't know how to translate it. Uh, somewhere in my <laughs> notes here. What was it called? The uh, the um, uh, the troll security service. The TSS. He uh, he works for TSS, and the only reason he agrees to to be a part of this this kind of documentary these kids are doing is because he's fed up with his job. And I found that so interesting and telling that people get put into jobs like this where they just do what the government tells them to do, quote unquote, for the good of the people. Because you know we can't have the trolls stomping around and and scaring people. We can't let people know that these trolls are real, et cetera, et cetera. And you hear those sorts of things. You see them in you know other movies where it's a premise of hiding things from people and whatnot. But in this one, I really liked the fact that this is a guy who's just kind of a, a a, a grunt. He does this for the government. Uh, he doesn't get anything out of it. He can't talk to people about it. He can't share his experiences. He can't, uh, you know, there's at no point in his life will he be able to really kind of come clean. And, you know, it, it reminds me of my my grandfather-in-law who worked for the military and was a Navy. He was a sub submarine captain. And um, later in his life, he ended up being involved in Area 51. And uh, to his deathbed, he was so um, in line with the government that he would never talk about any of his experiences. And he went, uh, you know, to his grave with those secrets. And I find it interesting that governments can make people that way. People become so in line with the the kind of the the um, the rhetoric that the government is spouting that they just kind of go along preaching it. And I really like that this man is somebody who, because of some of these horrible things that the government has actually had him do, he's actually now kind of turned the other way and finds this as an opportunity to finally come clean and and share these experiences. Well, yeah, and 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 you know what I love so much about his portrayal there is is that um, you know he comes at it from a, a place of just visible, visceral exhaustion, right? Yeah. And and not exhaustion from the work. You can tell he's an older man; he's been doing this all his life. But but it's exhaustion from the politics, and and when he comes to it. Uh, and and accepts the fact that these kids aren't going anywhere. He says, "Well, you know what? Maybe if you can get this on TV, 
something will start to change. And it comes at an interesting time. I mean, you said something, I think, that, that is, is it's an important way to frame this. Who makes the decisions for the good of the people? Who has the right to make the decisions for the good of the people? And just today, uh, did you see this, the, the Princeton um, uh, study that came out and redefined the kind of government that America has? No, I didn't. Uh, so it's a it's a, a significant study. You can download the PDF from Princeton, and they they essentially studied you know eighteen hundred uh, policy initiatives between nineteen eighty one and two thousand two, and determined that the United States is not a democracy anymore. That over the last many years we've been trending toward and arrived at becoming an oligarchy, where uh, you know decisions are made by those connected, wealthy, and in power. Uh, hmm. on behalf of, uh, you know, uh, no longer on behalf of the populace, right? There is now a disconnect between the, and the policies. And I think that, uh, you know, I haven't read the whole thing. I did start reading it today. I read about, you know, 20 pages of it today. And, and it's it, it started making me think about this movie. Uh, because here you have this small group of people uh, making this decision for the populace rather than figuring out a way to... Uh, live publicly and openly about these giant secrets of nature, right, that are living in the woods, they have set up an entire shadow department that is designed uh, to to hide and contain uh, this thing that is of nature. I mean, it is a natural phenomena, uh, yeah. these inhabitants. And, and so, uh, you know, it, they are making these decisions without the consent of the populace, and I think that's another interesting, uh, interesting take on it. Especially because you know, it, it, back to the the sort of religiosity of it. I mean, you get this whole pagan kind of secular, non secular vibe, right? These creatures being of nature, they are representative of uh, all that is natural: the mountains and the woods. And uh, you know, they are they are. Uh, how old did they say they could be? Uh, you know, thousand years old. Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, or more, uh, they are they are as old as the land itself, and yet they are something to be uh, hidden and feared. Um, and, and I find and that the, an interesting touch. And it's you know, <laughs> speaking to that, the government is perfectly fine having these these uh, poachers go these Polish poachers go out and and basically hunt bears and <laughs> right. use use these bears essentially as sacrifices to cover up the trails of uh, and the uh, destruction that these trolls cause well which is and wonderful it's, because it's, they they set up the premise early that says not everybody can get a bear hunt bears are are not you know, uh, that's something that's that's you know prestige hunt. Not everybody gets to go hunt bears, and yet the government is just hunting bears willy nilly to hide from the trolls or oh, to sacrifice it's, it's for the crazy. trolls. I'm sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. No, but that's that's exactly it. It's just it's it's complete nonsense, and it's just like the government saying, "Oh, there are no bears." What are you talking about? No such thing as bears, and then trying to like have somebody go and actually hunt all the bears. I mean, it, it's like they're creating this 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 fake system where there aren't enough bears because they're having to hunt the bears so that they can do all of this. I mean, right. it's it's just, it's nonsense. And like you said, the trolls, I mean, sure, they, they walk around. They're not quite as, as maybe, you know, uh, natural in the woods. They don't seem as 
like just a creature of the forest coming out and feeding on fish in a stream or something like that. I mean, these are big, bumbling, humanoid creatures that obviously cause quite a, a lot of problems. But still, like you said, they are natural creatures. And and who is it to uh, to any of us to basically decide that no one should know about them? Yeah, that's that's really it. And so I think this movie does an interesting job of uh, allowing us to uh, examine how we address our biggest secrets uh, and, and how we, you know, how we handle the things that, you know, we might naturally feel um, we have to hide. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. I, I actually thought it was one of the the most interesting points of the film that it was bringing up, and I also love the the whole idea that they go to the power plant uh, to figure out where the uh, the lines are down, and they learn that you know a lot of these power lines that are up in the mountains are actually not telephone lines, or I mean power lines, sorry, but are actually. Um, fences to keep these trolls at bay and to keep them confined to certain areas. And I love that the government employee who works at this power plant, um, it's like he's never really put any thought into where is the logic as far as like, why are these power lines just in a big circle? <laughs> what is the point of that? Well, they and, connect and, and, and at and the these, other end. <laughs> yeah. And these kids are asking him that. And it's like, nobody's ever asked him that before, but it's also like, it's not a surprise for him because it's like, well, it is the government, you know, right. it's, it's almost like that's how governments work. I guess I just never questioned it because the government isn't necessarily always doing the most efficient things. And again, that just speaks to the whole thing of, of the inefficiencies that come from uh, from trying to create these cover-ups that nobody questions because it's the government and they're, quote-unquote, doing what's good for the people. Totally. Totally agree. This is quite a political thing. I know. How did that happen? <laughs> I did not see this coming. Oh, it's interesting. Very interesting. Well, I think it's worth seeing, and I think it's worth seeing from this international perspective. I find that, that you know, significant. I... Uh, it, the, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going well, to change was, direction. So I was I was just going to say that was another reason that I I wanted to put it on the list of our found footage films. I know we didn't do Wreck and we did Quarantine instead, um, but I did want to try getting one uh, foreign film onto this list. And and you know we also kind of we did manage to really confine them to uh, to fairly recent films. So at least it was nice to get one that was international, yeah. um, as opposed to reaching all the way back to. Punishment Park back in 1971 or something. Right, right. Uh, which I did start watching finally, but uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't finished. It's hard to watch in one setting. It's uh it's interesting. I find it very interesting, but yeah. I, I yeah, I haven't quite gotten into it. The uh you know, I I I think speaking of Wreck and the remake, we should say it sounds like Neil Marshall is set to direct if they haven't already started shooting the remake of Troll Hunter. Uh, Neil Marshall from uh, you know my favorite Game of Thrones, uh, and from Descent, which we uh, and from the Descent, right, which we we love. So yes, uh, looks I like, like how it, I like how it points out in the little story that I read how they've remade they're remaking it and they have retitled it Troll Hunter. Yeah, with a, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the Troll Hunter. Even like it's they're they're oh. they're very serious about about this. There is only one. Not just a, not just a troll hunter. No. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the people, and I, you know, 
I guess we we should talk about Halvard Breen cinematography. Okay. Yes. Uh, we've You're, already talked yeah. a little bit about the, um, you know, about how they handle the camera. I think one of the things to to highlight in this film is, like Quarantine, um, you know, they are using high quality equipment, right? They're they're yeah. using HD cameras, and that makes for me the shaky cam experience uh, less jarring. And this was a and- film that I think. Would really lend itself to incredibly jarring jiggly monkey shaky cam. Yeah, and and one of the nice things about this one is because it's in Norway and you've got all the great fjords and they're driving through all the countryside. I mean, there is just some truly gorgeous footage of of the landscapes that these these students are driving through as they go on this journey with the troll hunter. And that's something that I really appreciate about this film because it's not a country I see in film too often. And so just getting a chance to kind of, you know, do my little uh, uh, tourism trip while watching the movie, I, I quite enjoyed. Yeah, totally agree. Um, no. You know, I thought the uh, like again the the trick with handing off the camera. They did a lot of the, uh, they did I I don't know probably an eight minute sequence with the camera actually broken. Maybe yeah. it wasn't that long. It sure felt long. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't that long, but it was, it did lead up to the uh, the new. Uh, camera person coming yeah. in with a brand new camera. I, I thought that was a nice touch. I mean, I, I I felt like that was cool. Since we, you know, the losing the original cameraman, um, that was that was tough. It was it was really sad. But you know, I guess it's it was an interesting thing to do, and I would say unexpected because because the camera is the thing that really has to be living through the end of the film in a found footage film, you kind of expect the cameraman to be somebody who's going to make it through the end of the film. I mean, Quarantine, he made it pretty far. Yeah, but he film. was not the last man standing, and he nor was, was it in Cloverfield. Um, right? I mean, that's he... true. That true. He's is, but it's, it's right, right up toward the end right and and you should say in this case he dies and is replaced like i that that i think is what stands out there is a long section of film after his death with a new cameraman yeah so that reminded me of yeah it reminded me of another found footage film um it wasn't really found footage it was more of a just a a, uh gosh what was it called A, a mockumentary documentary um was it called Man Bites Dog? Did you ever see that oh, one? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, it was a, a French uh, comedy crime drama where it's a film crew and they're following a, a killer, basically, as he kind of goes around killing people and everything. <laughs> and it's, I can't they, help but laugh at that. I know, it's it's really kind of whacked out. And they're kind of, they lose track of what's important and they start helping him in his killings and things like that. But as I recall in that film, they keep losing sound guys. Like their sound guys keep getting knocked off and they keep having to get new sound guys to come in and, uh, and fill in for the one who is just killed. And so that was, uh, <laughs> I don't know, when I, when the cameraman died, that's what I, uh, it made me think of that from troll hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that was, that was a good, that was a good bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should talk about the director, Andre Irvdal. Yes, or something like that. <laughs> it's like when, a... they, when they have the O with the line through it. A, I don't obviously, obviously don't know how to pronounce it, but it almost makes me think clearly it doesn't count. You know, like the O <laughs> well, is like just nil. like, yeah, you should just cross out letters you don't really care for. <laughs> I'm done with that O. I don't need that <laughs> 
Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's done, I, it looks like Troll Hunter was his second film as a director, and he's got two more in the works in, in pre-production, one of which, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, it looks like Martin Sheen is set to star. So uh, it looks like he's, you know, trying to step up and, uh, and branch out internationally. So, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how he does with that. Um, I think he, you know, it's this is not a Blair Witch style film where it's ultra low budget. I mean, I think he had a little more money. They had some special effects. They did uh, a pretty ambitious film for for uh, for this film. And so I'm curious to see where he goes next. Well, I want to talk about the special effects. And, I, you know, obviously they had a little bit more money uh, than Blair Witch. Uh, some of the effects. Well, tell me what you think of the effects. To me, there there was a fairly broad spectrum. Of, uh, let's see, believability, quality, what are you going to say? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, it's trolls and they're they're very, this kind of uh, old school folkloric sort of uh, type of trolls. I I guess I didn't have a huge problem with how they looked, but uh, because... because of the way that they look, they have such a kind of a silly look to begin with. But I mean, there are definitely times when the effects work better than others. I think the the one that stands out to me um, as the the worst example is the is, is the first troll that they have to take down, the tosser lad, the three headed <laughs> troll. Um, when it gets uh, uh, shot by the the uh, sun gun yeah. uh, and, and turns to stone, that whole thing looks very, very CG. And uh, it's, it's pretty clear that the giant stone troll is never actually really there. But uh, I think they uh, I think they bought some themselves some credit on the bridge, uh, you know, with the troll living under the bridge, which I thought the was a finch. Y- <laughs> y- yes, the wrinkle I love finch. The tr- I love these names. Not the tosser yeah. lad, but the Wrinklefinch. That's right. Yeah, the Wrinklefinch who's under the bridge and eating the goats and uh, makes an appearance up on top. Right. He does I, this thing on top and his arm comes up and he's like searching around for whatever's on top of the bridge. And I thought that was a, a great sequence. And, and I felt like that, uh, you know, to me that looked just vastly more believable than the, than the uh, tosser lad. Um, and, and I think it set the tone for the final sequence. There were some, you know, when you see the trolls in the distance, like walking across the mountains, I, I, that wasn't terribly believable, but the final troll I thought was, uh, was quite good. Yeah. I, I really liked him. And I actually, I liked the, uh, the, uh, infrared trolls. I thought they actually looked pretty good in infrared, the mountain kings. Yeah. yeah I think that's true. The mountain kings and the Jotnar at right. the end. They did a good job of recasting the landscape of, uh, you know, of Norway, kind of the mountains of Norway, uh, as like battlefields of of the, you know, the woodland trolls against the mountain trolls, you know, and and yeah. they they start to ascribe uh, natural phenomena in the context of uh, this battle, and you really can see it. You know, I, I think they did a good job of, of setting it up, setting up the, the kind of narrative, the visual narrative of the film so that we, the, the audience, kind of can, can adjust our own perspective very well. You know, it was easy for me to, to look at those rocks and see, wow, I can totally see where a troll would have had his way on that mountain. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and I like how he he pulls out. It's just like the things that they come up with that a troll hunter would use as tools. How he's got his you know piece of uh, like clear uh, 
that gel that he's marked on and he's drawn out where the rocks are so that he can go back there at a later date and hold it up and go, oh, nope, they're all still in the same place. There hasn't been any fighting here. Yeah, It's just like great little things like that. that yeah. are, I, I, I love all those little details that they throw in. Totally agree. Uh, what else is on your list as we get close to the uh, end here? You know, I, I think that's about it, but I, I did find it interesting that um, the bit at the end when they have the, the uh, press conference with the Norwegian prime minister, uh, Jens great. Stoltenberg, how uh, he was doing his, his – this, this is an actual press conference, and he's, he's talking about this uh, – I can't remember specifically, but he actually says – uh, and we have trolls, and he, and then he just kind of keeps going, and nobody made anything of it. It was just something that he kind of said in this real press conference. Now, apparently, he's actually speaking about a an oil field that is called Troll Field, um, but uh, but it is funny in the context of the film where he kind of throws that out, and nobody makes a big deal, almost just kind of like dismissing that he was saying anything serious. And I, it's just one of those funny little things. And I actually, that moment is one of those things that you see. And it's just like, okay, I can see the, uh, the, the filmmaker, Andre, catching that on the news and going, oh, that would be an interesting thing to make a film about. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I can see that being the germ of an idea for writing yeah. a script, you know? Totally can. I, I think we, I, you know, that slipped by me at first because I, I don't tend to follow Norwegian politics. I did not know on, you know, the first time I sat down to watch this that Jen Stoltenberg, that that was really him. And that right. was an edited cut of, of a real press conference. And let me just say, for the record, the Norwegian people have just an awesome general taste in locale for their press conferences. I mean, yes, really? Was... I mean, in that, <laughs> like in that sort of like on that stage right over the lake in the mountains <laughs> should go well, there. Like the whole country is like on mountains and hills and lakes and everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so anyhow, uh, yes, that was a, that's a, I thought that was a really nice way to end it. And yeah. of course the, the title card comes up at the end and we have the, uh, the students were never heard from again. Right, exactly. That was that was the one only the only other thing that I, I you know it kind of it's a minor problem. Um, I do like how at the beginning it's like you know on October thirteenth, two thousand eight, film camera ten AS received an anonymous package with two hard disks containing two hundred eighty three minutes of filmed material. This film is a rough cut version of that material. Everything is shown in chronological order, and no images have been manipulated. And it kind of kind of goes on from there, but. Um, but it did make me wonder. It's like, okay, so you took 283 minutes of film material and you condensed it to this hour and a half movie that we're watching here. Um, but you're keeping in moments like at the very beginning of the film where it's like, oh, I'm going to, I, I've got to kind of clean my lens. And, you know, there are some moments where I'm like, okay, I don't quite buy that it's a rough cut. You're just telling us the story of these trolls <laughs> yeah. because we're seeing, we're seeing these college kids as they clean the lenses and they get on the train. And there's some, there's some stuff in there that I, I was like, I don't think they, they would have kept that in if they were, you know, doing the, this rough cut version to tell the story. But, you know, it's a minor quibble. It still is a fun film. It is a fun film. And obviously there's, there, I think there's more to it. If you, if you dig a little bit deeper and look at it at, at, you know, sort of what is the mirror that they're holding up to us to, to look at the filmmakers. And I think it ends up being an interesting uh, sort of dialogue. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to go from here? You want to rate it? Rank it? Uh, well, let me tell you how it did financially. Oh, yeah, we got to talk numbers. First. Yeah, you'd think I'd never uh, done was, this show before. <laughs> yeah, who are you again? The um, It did okay. It did okay financially. Uh, it's not the highest ranking film, but it, it's a Norwegian film coming, you know, trying to make some money in the world. Um, it looks like it made about, or it cost about 3.5 million US dollars when you convert it from the uh, Norwegian currency. And it. Uh, the budget, let's see, the domestic gross on this thing here in the U.S. was about $250,000, so it didn't sell a lot of tickets here. But internationally, it made almost $4 million. So all told, you know, it did make its money back. It, it made about uh, $7,500 per finished minute. So it's on the lower end of our earners, but it didn't lose money. Well, that's something. Yes, and it now is. it's going to go through the roof. That's all I'm saying. And now, that's right. Well, you know, throw a uh, throw Neil Marshall on there, and yeah, now it'll a, go a, whole, a whole new troll hunter, it's a yeah. regular dragon tattoo again. <laughs> uh, all right, let's head over to our favorite. Flip let's chart. do it. Can we do that? I'm if ready. you head over to flickchart.com/slash/the-next-real. That's where you can find our stack ranking of our all of our favorite films that we have done on this show, and some of them that are not our favorites. Uh, and so you should head there. You should go over there right now. You should you should become friends with us, and uh, you know, and then we can compare movies. You know, maybe we could get coffee. Absolutely. And uh, compare movies. Let's do it. Troll Hunter or the Born Ultimatum? Well, you know, probably the Born Ultimatum. Yeah, I would too. Troll Hunter or Compulsion? Mm. I, would do, I would do Troll Hunter. I mean, I really liked Compulsion, but again, I, I, it's, I think the fantasy element of Troll Hunter is something that I would return to more frequently. Yeah, okay. I'm easy. Tr- All right. Troll Hunter or Panic Room? Panic Room. Lesser David Fincher fair, but very enjoyable. Yeah, I would. I think I would do Panic Room as well. I, I'm a little torn on that one though, but I'll I'll go just for the Fincherness of it. Fincher, uh, the Fincherness of it. That's right. Here we go. Troll Hunter or Cloverfield? Oh, wow. Well, I might do Troll Hunter. I, I think I would do Troll Hunter. Yeah, I, I those kids don't annoy me as much. Uh, exactly, as that's exactly. I may not understand what they're saying, but I like the way they're saying it. And I, I really do enjoy Hans the Troll Hunter. Yes. He's a great character. Yeah. All right, Troll Hunter or A League of Their Own. Oh. Um, hmm. I'm gonna say Troll Hunter. That's a tricky one. I may right now. I I may regret it, but I'm going to say Troll Hunter right now. Oh, and man, I was getting some good pairings here. Troll Hunter or Quarantine? Uh, Quarantine for me. Yeah, I think I would do Quarantine as well. And Troll Hunter or Driving Miss Daisy? Uh, Wow. I'm going to say Driving Miss Daisy because of Morgan Freeman. Oh, that, that you enjoyed my little Morgan Freeman video I sent you. Yeah, that was pretty good. Hopefully, yes, that was good. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll do do it for that as well. I was going to say Troll Hunter, but I'll give you Driving Miss Daisy. All right, there you go. Eighty-four out of one hundred twenty-eight. Wow. Yeah, it's it's right between Quarantine and Cloverfield. 
So I think of all of them, we still have uh, uh, Chronicle up higher and then Quarantine, Troll Hunter, and Cloverfield. Chronicle much higher. Yes, much higher. Uh, excellent. Hey, this was fun. What did, did you learn anything new about found footage that you you felt uh, that you you know learned about your appreciation of the of the uh, of the uh, meme of the genre? Well, yeah. I you know I definitely still enjoy them. It is interesting going back and looking at them much more critically and really thinking about okay, why would this person be filming here? Is there a logical reason that still works in the context of the film as to why they're doing it? Um, and, you know, I think that's always the most challenging aspect of these found footage films. That being said, I still really enjoy uh, the the style of film. And I enjoy that it's something that you can move into different genres, whether it's a horror or a creature feature or a fantasy. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's it's a lot or, or a superhero. You know, we, we did a few uh, nice genres and I, I think it was a lot of fun to watch it working in these different genres and seeing how well they did. I think it's interesting on that point. You, I I think that filmmakers are setting themselves up for you know non-trivial challenges by choosing to go down the the road of found footage. And I I don't think I gave those challenges enough um, enough cred when I you know when I normally just sort of talk about found footage rather, until I, I start you know until we watch them um, back to back like this. Um, you know, I, I have a better understanding of those, uh, I think, of those challenges. And uh, I, I also find myself sort of exhausted. Uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's more work to watch these found footage films, particularly, you know, en masse like this. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly ready for a break. But I, I deeply enjoyed the experience. I'm glad we did the series. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think there are... You know, just judging by your trailers alone, there may be some uh, films coming down the coming down the uh, path that we we might need to add to this well, collection. That's, that that's something that I would say. Looking at trailers for upcoming ones, I mean, I think there are definitely some that look exciting to talk about. But like the horror genre. This is becoming fast a uh, – and I don't even know if it's fair to call found footage a genre, but it certainly is a style of telling a story. Right. Um, it's becoming very popular for filmmakers who don't have a big budget to tell a story because it instantly puts you into a uh, a, a framing device that – that allows kind of the behind the scenes filmmaking techniques to leak into the story. So you don't have to worry about it quite as much. And uh, I, I, I will say that I, I appreciate the ones that are done well that much more because there are so many out there that aren't. Yes. And so, Yes, that's all. That was oh, it. I that was point. big. You made your point, and I. You then you disappeared, and I thought, uh, "Wow, that was." You, did you so, just drop the mic and walk away? It was. It was a PowerPoint. I it made my point, and I took PowerPoint. my beat. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, this was fun, and now we are taking a break. We're going to move uh, into. We've already talked a little bit about this, I think, last week. Uh, our, we're taking a little bit of a break and doing a listener's choice film next week. Very excited. We, uh, uh, we're we doing The Matrix. Yeah, and you know, 
I am curious to revisit the Matrix, and it it does open the possibility of maybe sometime in 2015, if we think it's uh, worth exploring, uh, finishing out the series because uh, you know the Matrix is so good. Um, the other ones are ambitious, and it would be interesting to kind of look at the trilogy again. I haven't seen it as a trilogy in quite a while, but uh, I am definitely excited to watch The Matrix, though. Yeah, I don't, I personally, and I'm just going to put it out there, I don't think you can talk about The Matrix and not talk about the universe that the Wachowskis created. I don't, as yeah. it, whatever you feel about the other two films as isolated cinema events, I think you have to do credit to the entire universe that they created because it's not just the films. It's the game. It's the Animatrix. It's the comics. I mean, it's just the it's the universe. And I, I think you have to acknowledge what, what the other the role that the other two films play. So that's my take. I would love to add those to it. I think there are some things that are that are actually not re- reprehensible in those films. And so I look no, forward to I kicking agree. it off. Uh, kicking off this is this was our listeners' choice pick with uh, uh, Alex Curran. And uh, we have a little conversation with Alex uh, uh, that that uh, where he tells us a little bit about why he decided to uh, that uh, to to pick this for us, and uh, I like it. I think he's got a I'm, great reason. I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Yes. So that's next week, The Matrix, and uh, also this weekend. Are we gonna Are we gonna say it? Let's do it. It's been picked, right? It's done. Okay. I, I think it's officially picked, yes. All right. All right. We are, uh, we're we're going to go back in time a little bit and pretend that Captain America the Winter Soldier has just been released. And we're gathering the uh, thugs of the film board. And we're going to talk a little bit of Cap this weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. In our very special episode. Get our Marvel on. We're going to get our Marvel on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, grim. Excellent. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Andy? Awesome, as usual. Good talking yep, to you, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go hunt some more trolls. Uh, I'm gonna go to bed. I'm not, talking, I'm, not, I'm not talking. Stop talking. I'm not talking. I'm not. I would. Why would I talk? Stop talking, Andy. <laughs> Stop talking. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, 
Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.